Good morning to everybody. We welcome you here this morning. Uh, time this weekend has passed way too fast. I knew it would, and it has. I want to take the opportunity to thank uh, Wayne and John for making it possible for us to come here this weekend. It's very much appreciated. Uh, I can guarantee you we've gained much more than you ever would. Uh, just being here and being able to, to see everybody again is uh, an incredible joy. Um, I'm going to say again, uh, it was mentioned earlier, Kathy Palmer, very much appreciate the home being open to us. Uh, Lynn and I are very much aware that that took an incredible amount of work and we don't uh, uh, underappreciate what was done. Those that helped you, all that were involved in that, folks that brought food, if you weren't there, you missed an incredible feast and a great time. Um, catching up with old friends and making some new ones. Um, 23 years ago, this congregation opened their hearts to Glenda and I, this, this month, first of the month. Our second son, David, had just been born earlier in August, and we uh, came here, and from the very, very, very beginning, people opened their hearts to us in word and deed. And I can tell you that uh, our memories of this place never cease, and it's never forgotten uh, how important that was in terms of a time in our lives and what you folks meant to us, uh, certainly the ones that were here at that time, what you all meant to us. I just want you to know that uh, you've never been forgotten. I can honestly say, and this is not exaggeration, that it isn't a day that goes by that I don't think of you folks. And you always live right here. And so you're not forgotten. And I appreciate those 10 years, they were some of the ten, best 10 years of our lives, and it was because of you. Um, to avoid uh, blubbering and embarrassing myself and you having to sit there being embarrassed for me, we'll, we'll move forward. Uh, speaking of embarrassment, what I'm about to do, I don't intend for this to be an embarrassment for these folks. I just know the people here would like to know this and that they would like to get to know you. Uh, there's a family visiting here that has moved into the area, the Grimes family. Uh, if you're not embarrassed to do so, could you raise your hand? Just let us know right here. Uh, welcome. I can uh, tell you without any question at all, this is a wonderful place to be. And the folks here I know would love to get to know you and meet you and uh, see how any way that they can be of help. and. Ultimately, thank you for coming our way this morning. And I do want to thank Stuart. Uh, in his prayer, he asked God to give me a ready recollection. And I can tell you, recollecting doesn't happen much anymore with me, with this, with this old brain, much less a ready one. So I'm thankful for that, and I hope that I haven't forgotten what I meant to bring your way this morning. Um, because this, this is the end of our time together. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice, and man, the rejoicing that comes from what we're going to talk about this morning is never-ending. Uh, it's just that we need to appreciate what it is that we have in being in relationship with God. Uh, Benny read for us Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, just a few seconds ago, and uh, I had him read that because simply 
it speaks of a time in uh, the early church where great persecution was going on. Stephen had been persecuted. Saul was leading the persecution. But God still turned all of that into good because the people that were being scattered because of that persecution went off into various areas, one being Samaria that is mentioned in this particular passage. And there Philip preached the kingdom to those that were there, and it is said that they heard the word, believed it, and men and women were baptized based upon what they were hearing. And then it says there was great joy in that city. And I'm here to tell you when God's word is disseminated and people adhere to it, listen to it, respond to it, there is to be great joy. And that's the thought that I want to leave with you this morning is the idea of rejoicing in our salvation. It's a common good that we have together, and we can rejoice together in that. And it's all because God was willing to make it happen by giving his son for us. Psalm 95.1 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 96.2, sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. And Isaiah 25.9 says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And so certainly rejoicing is to be found in the salvation that is provided for our God. And that's going to be the theme this morning as we look at it and as we see some of the things revolving around it, I think we can understand in a much better way, why rejoicing should be a part of that process. Any talk of salvation certainly begins with the cross. If you want to turn over to Mark chapter 15, we'll read here verses 24 to 40. You'll remember that uh, the gospel writers indicate to us that Jesus was in great distress as he looked toward the cross. Matthew tells us that Jesus was sorrowful and sore troubled, exceedingly sorrowful, and prayed that if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Luke adds that he was in agony, that he prayed at length, and it was as if great drops of blood were falling to the ground as Jesus prayed on that occasion in the garden as he was going to be crucified in just a few hours. As you look at the cross, I think we can understand a little bit about why Jesus would have dreaded it. Certainly there was the aspect of the brutality of it. Uh, it's impossible really for us, I think, to really comprehend how utterly awful that was, the death that he died. I began with the uh, fraudulent case brought against him, the fraudulent trial, you remember that the time came during that trial where they blindfolded him, began to spit on him, hitting him with their hands, prophesied to us, who just hit you? Sent to Pilate. Pilate must not have been a very, very big man because he didn't find anything wrong with him. But he said, I'll, I'll make you happy. I'll send him off to be scourged. I'm not going to go into that brutality this morning, but you've, you've heard lessons on the brutality of the scourging. It's just awful. It's just awful. And then they bring him out before the people. Pilate brings him out. And in the Latin, ecce homo, behold a man. And then I cannot imagine the sorrow that must have been felt in Jesus' heart as his own people cried out, crucify him. The death on the cross, as you've 
I'm sure heard on many occasions a horrible, horrible thing. People would sometimes be on the cross for days. They'd leave them on the cross, animals could come up and do what they do. And, um, the pain involved in it, there, apparently there's a nerve that runs through here that, uh, where they would nail them. And when that nerve is hit, it's just excruciating pain. To be hung on that cross in that manner, sinless, brutality of the cross. But I'll tell you this, and I just came to this conclusion and understanding reasonably recently because I used to think that the talk of Jesus in the garden and his, his, the foreboding in terms of how, what he was looking forward to, I always associated with the brutality of it, the horror of it, the, the pain of it. I don't really think that anymore. And I, I don't minimize what he went through in a physical way, but I think there's something underlying here that is even greater as to why he would have felt the way he felt as he had anticipated what was coming. And that, in essence, would be the shame of the cross. And what I mean by that is there was a great shame that was associated with it, and this is the way that it would have been for Jesus. They would have stripped him, nailed him to the cross, and then he was numbered with the transgressors, remember? Put between two criminals. It's as if he was the chief, too, at being in the middle, that he was the chief sinner on that occasion. Put between those two criminals as if he was a common criminal himself. And then the idea that those that were on that, at that place on that occasion would have the audacity to come up to him and to berate him. Scripture says they wagged their heads at him, just showing absolute contempt for him, blaspheming him. You said you could save others. Come down from that cross, save yourself. What they didn't realize, he didn't come down from that cross so he could save them. But ultimately, the shame that you would find, I believe, in terms of that, that event would be the fact that he was, in a very real way, becoming sin. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, that as Jesus hung on that cross, that he was, in a very real way, becoming the rapist, the adulterer, the fornicator, the liar. Name whatever sin you want to name hung there as a common criminal. He became a curse for us. And the shame that was involved in that. And then when you consider the fact that he would cry out to his father at the end of it all, why have you forsaken me? Because he realized going to that cross there was going to come a time where the relationship that he had had from all eternity with God was going to be severed for that time period. Because he cannot look upon sin. God cannot. And he was going to have to place the sins of the world upon this Christ for us. And so, reading with me, and when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, that would be nine o'clock in the morning, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him also they crucified two robbers, one on his right, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. 
And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And likewise, the chief priests also, together with the scribes, mocked and said among themselves, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him reviled him. And that was a lie, too. Come down from that cross, we'll believe. After he came down from the cross, put in a tomb, and was resurrected, they still wouldn't believe. Now when the sixth hour had come, that would be noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard it said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Two points I want to make very quickly from that passage is, one, the idea of the darkness for three hours from noon to three in the afternoon. If you look back in the Old Testament, the idea of darkness was very much associated with God's judgment. Um, When God judged Egypt, with the uh, firstborn, the killing of the firstborn. Prior to that, there was great darkness over the land. In Isaiah, it talks about the fall of Babylon, and in that fall of Babylon, it talks about the constellations falling, the sun will no longer shine. So that idea of darkness at this time is is a reflection of the judgment that's going on, and that judgment is going on on a man that had done nothing wrong. But he was willingly drinking the full cup of wrath that God would pour out on sin, every sin, willingly doing that because he loved us. And that separation that came at that point in time, we can't comprehend that. That's just beyond anything that we could ever imagine. All we can do is talk about it and try to understand it. Separated from his God because he was bearing the sins of the world. And he did it because he loves us. The Lord's table this morning, a passage was read from Romans chapter 5. And it speaks to something that I think is extremely important. It's when you start to talk about the love of God, the wonderful thing about it is he demonstrated it. I bet you've had people tell you in, in your life, I love you, and you went away wondering if that was really true. God didn't just say it. He demonstrated it, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The passage that we know so well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed on him should have eternal life. That little word so is less a word of degree, like I love you so much, as it is a word of process. This is how he loved us. He loved us so much. In this way he loved us that he gave his own son. One of my favorite hymns is, uh, It is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And there's another verse in that, in that uh, song that many times is not even found in our songbooks. I looked this morning, and it is in ours, but many times it's not sung for whatever reason. But it's actually my favorite one of the whole, uh, whole song. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and his shed. and has shed his own blood for my soul. God didn't just talk about his love for us. He demonstrated in a very vivid way, in a way that's supposed to break our hearts. And every day as we think about that, the love that produced this great sacrifice that brings us our salvation, we can rejoice in that every day. It's interesting the contrast that is made in Scripture between our previous time before we knew God, our lost time, and then our salvation time. The chasm couldn't be any wider. Listen to the terms that are used for lostness, dead in trespasses and sins, children of wrath, strangers and foreigners having no hope, in darkness, having not obtained mercy, and then when he talks about salvation, sons of light, accepted in the beloved, children of God, redeemed, Christ in you, the hope of glory, made priests and kings through the blood of Jesus, adoptions as sons. What a contrast that is. What a reason to rejoice looking at what we were and what we are now through the grace of God. And so it's really no surprise that in the heaven scene from Revelation chapter 5, in the throne room as the Lamb comes forward, there's great rejoicing. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, and you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Oh, he's worthy to be praised, brethren, worthy to be praised, sacrificing himself willingly so that we might live eternally. And so as we think about the love that prompted it, the sacrifice, I want you to think here finally about the idea of how understanding what Jesus went through, both from a pain standpoint, but even more from a separation from God standpoint as he took on the sins of the world, all of that is meant to give us a great appreciation for God. And in my way of thinking, it is really the only motive that's out there that works for living for him. We're to be motivated to live for God because of what he's done for us how he sacrificed for us so that we might live forever with him. 
a lot of you may have uh, good memories of the old show uh, Andy Griffith. Used to watch that a lot. There's a certain episode that really stuck with me because it always made the point in a smaller way, obviously, much smaller way than what we're talking about this morning, but it made the point of how we're to be appreciative of what God has done for us. On the occasion, uh, you remember Gomer. Gomer's at the gas station, and Gomer has inadvertently left a, uh, an oily towel in a waste bin. Somehow that waste bin, the towel in that waste bin caught fire, a little fire, and smoke's coming up. Just so happened Andy comes by the filling station at that time, sees the smoke, runs in, puts out the fire. Gomer's uh, laying there in his chair asleep. Puts out the fire, and Gomer wakes up, and they talk about what's just happened. And when Gomer understands that Andy had put the fire out, Gomer is overwhelmed with admiration for what Andy has done for him. And in that episode, it's kind of funny, Gomer drives him crazy because Gomer wants to do everything he can for Andy. Shows up at, the, uh, at, at Andy's uh, office there. I mean, it gets to the point where, you know, Randy, go, 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 Gomer. You know, it's okay. You, you've paid me back already. But the point would be that Gomer was so overwhelmed with appreciation that Andy had shown up on that occasion, and in Gomer's life, Andy had saved his life. And that just is a little bit about how we really ought to be about our God. Because he's done a much greater thing. He's saved our souls. He's made it possible for us to live eternally with him. And it's that appreciation for that, that understanding for that, that will lead us to rejoice in salvation. It will lead us to seek God, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We've talked a little bit about righteousness this week and in this sense, this is the righteousness that we pursue. We're pursuing obe obedience to God, not through acts that we think make us any more better for God or, or, or make us any more uh, uh, in relationship with him, but we, we seek out those things because we are so appreciative of what he's done for us, the love that he's already shown to us. The idea is sanctification. Sanctification means you've been set apart with a purpose. And that purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, uh, he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. And I ran across this, and this, this really speaks to, in, a, in a very real way to what I'm trying to get across. The gift of a right relation with the Father through the Son creates a relationship in which we are to be dedicated to righteousness in the sense of obeying the Christ. And though we could never become righteous before God by our own efforts to conform our lives to his will, out of gratitude and love we serve him because he has granted us salvation through the grace of our Lord Jesus. He has pronounced us righteous and reconciled us to himself and transformed our relationship to one of friendship. And since he has made us his own and given us his righteousness, it becomes our privilege to be righteous in conduct. That's the great motivating factor in living the Christian life is because of what he's done for us. And I'm fully convinced that that's the abundant life of which Jesus speaks to us in Scripture. In closing, in Luke chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 10, we're told about the occasion where Jesus sent the 70 out to preach the gospel the time comes where they come back 
to Jesus after the fact. In verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But watch verse 20. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in the power I've given you. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's a little book up there. It's got your and my name in it. We're in relationship with God. That is cause for rejoicing. If you're in the audience this morning and you have uh, never come into a saving relationship with God by faith, repentance, and baptism, we offer you that right now. It's really amazing. I mean, right now, you can step forward and you can come in a loving relationship with God and dedicate your life to him and live your life for him. And I tell you, it's the only way to live. There is no other way to live to find any kind of satisfaction in this life. When you begin to give self away and live for others, that's real life. And that's what Jesus has called us to, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. We would love to assist you in making that decision. If you're here and um, you've had a relationship with God and you think that's fallen by the wayside in some way, the good news is it ain't over. God loves you. He continues to love you. If you need to have proof of that, find the uh, parable of the lost son and find God's response when that lost son comes home because God's the father in that parable. He throws a party for him because you were lost and now you're found. If you need to do that publicly, step forward. If you need to do it privately to pray to God that you want to rededicate yourself to him, we want to encourage you to do that as together we stand and sing.